the book of Philippians. You know, the angel, when he came upon them there, they came upon the shepherds, he said something to them. You remember what he said? He said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of what? Great joy, which shall be to all people. And what were the good tidings? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We're going to talk this morning about rejoicing in the Lord from Philippians chapter 4. But I want you to think about the concept of joy. What is it? Now, if you're a kind of a word nerd like me, you want to find out what's the distinction in these words. I've been thinking about joy and happiness and good feelings and all that kind of thing. And this is a good time of year for that. There is something about this time frame that people just kind of walk around, just kind of enjoying the vibes. It's just, uh, I don't know what it is. It's just, it, people are nice. They, uh, and if they're not nice, they're not too far away from people who are nice. There's something about it, you know. It's, everything is like a Hallmark store or something. It's for, just has that smell of, you know, Hobby Lobby everywhere you go. And there's just... Uh, you know, candles gleaming and, and uh, you know, decorating the Christmas trees and hanging lights and, um, and Christmas music and uh, baking cookies. Those are, uh, and for, I forgot about that, the cookies, man, we've got to have cookies for tonight. But uh, I, many of you have already brought them in. And uh, we, we love that, the smell of baking. And we really enjoy the smell of baking in the home and the cookies and the baked goods of Christmas time, as we enjoy the food of Christmas and the baking items. Uh, we really enjoy that. Amen? Amen, Mom? We love that, don't we? We just love baking and cookies and baked goods from Christmas time. And we like the baked goods from Christmas as well. Those are good. I'm just kidding. We don't need... I know, I know there's one man over here that his wife says no more cookies, but as a good leader of his home, he just keeps eating cookies. Amen? <laughs> Brother Oscar, I love it. I love it because I've seen it so many times. Someone will come by with a plate of cookies and he'll, you know, and she's like, no. And he, but he does. Amen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And uh, speaking of, of family and all of that, uh, it is a great time with family. And uh, even, even the symbols of Christmas that have become uh, kind of everywhere you go, Santa Claus and, and you know, reindeer and all that, um, it's, it's not, a, you know, a negative thing. It's, it's a positive, uh, you know, joyful, even magical, the wonder in a child's eyes and all that. And uh, it certainly is. It's a time where even if you don't celebrate in that, in any of those things, it generally is a time of being able to relax and to unwind a little bit, and to you know take your belt and loosen it a little bit, and uh, most people just wear you know joggers. That's that's all they do. Just joggers for the rest of their lives, uh, especially around this Christmas season, right? It just makes things easier. But uh, the truth is, we we are in a culture that is in um, it's looking for happiness. In fact. That idea of being happy and joyful, and you hear people say, "I wish it could be Christmas all year round." And uh, the reason, what they're, what they're saying is not, I want to go into credit card debt all year round. They're, they're not saying, I, and I don't hope they're not saying, that they want to listen to the same Christmas songs all year long. I mean, at some point, you know, it just is too much. But I think what they're saying is, I want to feel happy all year long. And when you think about a country whose constitution enshrines the pursuit of happiness, it's no wonder that uh, we are constantly after that. Now, and I would say most countries would have that same basic idea, but we said we really mean it and we're putting it in our documents because we want to be happy. And of course, as you understand, it's the pursuit of happiness. Uh, it's not just what is happiness. Well, we're going to look at that in a little bit here, but uh, we, we all desire to have that. And where do you find your happiness? Do you find it in your relationships? Do you find your happiness in your stuff? Like, if I don't know, Amazon, something about seeing an Amazon box just makes you happy. 
And uh, that, that could be one for a lot. Entertainment for, for many of us, it's entertainment. You know, it's games, it's uh, movies, it's um, music or uh, social media, whatever it is. It just kind of brings that extra shot of dopamine. Some people are, are very, very happy when their sports teams win. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to see what I would call uh, an external definition of happiness, watch when a team is about to, the, the, the time is almost expiring, and let's say they're down by two points, and they're going to kick a field goal with four seconds left, and, you know, the, uh, he calls for the ball, he sets it, the kicker comes, kicks it, and everybody's watching. And then when he, when he makes the field goal, they go up by one point, time expires. People are just pumping their fists, they're yelling, they're screaming, they storm the field, everybody's down there. And it's so exciting. It's a, it, it's a kind of a, uh, it's a place where you, don't, you never really see people mad when they win the game. You see it when they lose the game, but when, they're, when they win, they're just full of happiness. And we might say they're rejoicing. But it's important to know that happiness is a feeling. It's, re, it's related uh, and defined, rather, as a state of feeling or showing pleasure or contentment. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with that, with good feelings. And by the way, the word happy or happiness uh, is a Bible word. The problem with, with the feeling itself is that once you've found that feeling, it often is harder to find it again in the same way. Because happiness is connected with hap, happenstance. It's connected with things that happen. It's connected with happenings. And so as a result of that, you can be happy because of what happened. Joy is a little different. Now, there is crossover, and I'm telling you, there's, it's not as easy to say happy is bad, joy is good. It's not that simple. Because in the Bible, happiness is good. What's wrong with being happy? Nothing. But be, happiness is that feeling that kind of you just kind of have out of the blue. But joy is a little different. It is... Connected with that feeling, not a bad feeling. It's not necessarily this super spiritual, you know, Saint Christopher joy, right? It's a feeling of great pleasure. This is joy. Great pleasure, elation, or delight arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. So in other words, happiness has a lot to do with our affections down on this earth, but true joy, biblical joy, has to do with our affections that are in heaven. So it's not that God says you're not allowed to have any happiness. Happiness is bad, joy is good. But it is that happiness seems to be a little bit more temporary, connected with happenstance, and joy, as we'll see, is eternal. The theme of Philippians, as we've been looking at over the last few months, is how to have joy through the mind of Christ no matter what. The word joy or rejoice is used 18 times in this short book of four chapters. Joy or rejoice. And Paul proved to us that it's possible to even be in prison and to have joy. Even if the circumstances never change, which by, by the end of Paul's life, he never got out of prison. He said, I'm ready to be offered. He died by capital punishment. He never got out of prison. And yet he still had joy. A lot of people are in prison today. Maybe you're in prison to a job that you hate. Maybe you feel like you're imprisoned in your marriage. Or maybe you're imprisoned by unemployment. You feel imprisoned by not being able to be married. I mean, it's, it's all your own prison. I don't know exactly what you might be imprisoned to. Maybe you're a victim, a victim of something in your life. But I can tell you this, joy for a believer is not only possible, it's commanded. You're supposed to be joyful. 
Let's look, if you would, at Philippians chapter 1. The theme of, of Philippians, as we said, is how to have joy through the mind of Christ or in the mind of Christ, no matter what. Philippians 1, look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Philippians is centered on the person and power of Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. And you say, I don't understand that. How can I live for someone I've never seen? Well, you can't do it in the flesh. I can tell you that. Now, you and I understand what it's like to live for someone. People say, I live for my daughter. You know, if you're, if you're married and someone says, I live for my daughter, that's a concern. Often when people say, I live for my daughter, what they mean is that's all I have left and I pour my life and my money and my time and my energy into that girl. I love her. And that's nothing wrong with that. But, but what I'm saying is to, to live for that one person gives you an understanding of what Paul meant for the believer, not just for him, for every person that's saved. His desire, God's desire, is that we would be able to say with Paul, for to me, to live is Christ. People say, you know, ball is life. No, Christ is life. Christ is life. He's supposed to be my life. Look what he says in chapter 2. If Christ is my life, what does that mean? It means I want to think like him. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind. Look at chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So Paul is speaking about how to have joy through the mind of Christ. How to have joy by thinking like Christ thought. That's what it is. Now, you know what a lot of us say? We say, well, I mean, I'm glad for Jesus and all that. It's great. But I got other stuff I got to do. I mean, I don't got time to be thinking like what Christ. I just want, I want Jesus to make me happy where I am right now. Because, I mean, isn't that what supposed to Jesus, Jesus supposed to do? Like make pe be people happy? That's what he's all about. No, actually, the Lord said, I'm, com I'm coming in not just to help you th to think like me. I'm putting my mind in you, and I want you to use my mind instead of your mind. And to the degree you think or use the mind of Christ, you will have the joy that he offers. If you don't use his mind, you will be looking for joy or for happiness all everywhere you go. Now let's look at chapter 4. He says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Sentaki that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, when Christians are fighting, they're not rejoicing. Verse 3, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, you know what he shows us here? He shows us how to accomplish verse 1, to stand fast in the Lord, how to be of the same mind in the Lord, verse 2, and how to help those women, to help others. He tells us how. You know, most of us, what are we thinking about? Well, I'm, you know, I'll change. Not, not, not everyone here. I know that. There's some, there's some people who have been through a lot, and you're really working through it. But you, know, the, you know what often is the temptation? With the culture winds blowing, we just kind of bend with them. The Lord said, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. And then he said, uh, we're supposed to be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, I don't care what anybody else is doing. This is my life. This is how I came up. You know, when you're a Christian, you give up your identity and you take on the identity of Jesus Christ. Yes, you have a biological DNA that goes back to, you know, whatever country your people come from. Of course you have that. But by the way, so does every other human being. And you know what every other human being is often thinking of? Themselves. What's different about a believer is we have a new identity, which is the Lord. So he says, stand fast in the Lord, be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he tells us in verse number four, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoicing is a choice because it's a command. 
It's an option that you have to choose, but it's a command. And I say it's a choice because it's a command. Why? God does not tell you to do anything that you cannot do. But, but God is not going to make you rejoice. He says, you, hey, you, yes, talking to you, rejoice in the Lord. Well, I can't rejoice. He didn't say, come up with your own joy. He said, rejoice in the Lord. But I want you to see here that it's a choice. It's the duty of every Christian to be joyful. Now, we might say, what are the duties of Christians? Well, they need to, uh, they need to go to church, and you should go to church. You can't be a good Christian if you don't go to church. Some people can't physically go to church. They want to. When we say go to church, we don't mean just the building, of course. We mean the people. But it's the assembling of the people together. Why anyone who, who has physical capability and does not do it, uh, why they wouldn't go to church, I don't understand. Except I know this. The devil comes up with all kinds of reasons to keep you from doing what is your duty to do. You know what something else Christians should do? It's a duty. They should read their Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, there's no way in the world you'll be able to understand the mind of Christ. Something else that we should do. We should witness. We should give the gospel out. Why? You'll never, you'll never know the mind of Christ unless you do what Christ did. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And, and if you say, some Christians say, well, I'm not really a, a witnesser. I don't have the gift of witnessing. There is no such thing as the gift of witnessing. There's not. Now, you might be better with people, but, you know, now we know. He said, henceforth, no, we know man after the flesh. Our work is spiritual. It's not personality driven. If your gospel is personality driven, you don't even need the spirit of God. Matter of fact, you don't even need the gospel. You can do like a lot of people do. Come up with your own religion. Because it's all about your personality. Christians, our job in giving out the gospel is to witness to what he says. And you go in the power of the Spirit. It's a duty. You know, another duty that we're to have is to give. How much? Well, I mean, I, I don't even see a direct, explicit command in the New Testament church age epistles to tithe. I think it's a good idea, and I do it. I think if, the, if God's going to expect the letter of the law in the Old Testament, he certainly wants the spirit of the law. I don't necessarily mean that that's a, a hard and get it done and never. I, I, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I see that throughout the, the, before the law. I see it during the law and after the law. I think it's a great principle. But it's interesting to note. That was for some of you falling asleep. It's interesting to note that while that is a duty incumbent upon a believer, there is no direct command. You know what is commanded? Rejoice. Christian, have joy. Do it now. (laughs) You can't just tell somebody to walk, someone to be happy. You just can't command joy. You know, that sounds good, but it's actually not true. Researchers have done studies. Let me read you a couple. In 2012, the University of Kansas Psychological Science Journal, they found that purposefully activating smile muscles by holding a pen in the teeth. They didn't even tell them to smile. They said, put a pen in your teeth. And what they they did, They, they, they looked at cartoons And they said, at the end of it, they had two different groups, one with pens in their teeth, one without. And they said, read these cartoons. And when they got done, the people that had the pen in their teeth thought the cartoons were funnier than the group that didn't. It's weird, isn't it? 1988, Michigan State University. They tracked people's moods when they were instructed to smile forcibly for long periods by reading words aloud, holding a a chopstick in their teeth or lips. The smile group reported feeling significantly happier after this exercise than the non-smile group. Now, I'm telling you, it works. If, If nothing else, it tells you that you could possibly be happy someday. Now, I want to challenge you to do it. Let's see how many of you can do it. We're going to smile on three. Now, listen, you need to get prepared for this. Breathe deep. This is not easy. And we're doing it in church. I want you to be, are you ready? We're going to smile. One, 
Gird up your loins. One, two, three. <laughs> I'm going to call you out if you're not smiling. You're like, I am smiling. Wow. Man, praise the Lord. Smile. You can, you, he said, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you're, a big, if you're big into science, you know, science research, it's, it's as good as, you know, <laughs> I, I guess it's as good as the, ne- you know, the day. Maybe the science will change next tom- tomorrow or whatever. But, I mean, if, if you're looking for science, there's science. They've done it. And you know what else? There was research out in UC Davis 2003. They showed that smiling during brief, unpleasant stimuli, probably electrodes of some kind, <laughs> smiling... During that stimuli, it led participants to recover from negative emotions twice as quickly. Smiling helped to regulate their mood. It helps to regulate your mood. Why? Because as a human, you've been happy before some point. Even if it was when you were seven years old, you've been happy somewhere. So you remember what that feels like, and it feels good to be happy. I'm just telling you, even from the physical standpoint, it is possible, from the flesh standpoint, it is possible for you to be happier than you are by making yourself be happy. And isn't it interesting that we would say, my natural feeling is I don't want to be happy. That's my natural feeling. Facts cannot change. They can't be changed by my, by my smile. Even a forced smile can't change the facts. But my attitude can change. My attitude. And that goes along with an a, that's a physical side. The spiritual side is true. Joy is a choice. It's a choice that we make by thinking as Christ thinks. Now, I, I challenge some of you to try it every occasionally. Smile. I'll tell you, it works. It works. But I want to go even higher than that. I want to go to the next part of that verse. You see what he said? Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. You see, here's the second point. The first point, if you're taking notes, rejoicing is a choice and a command. Secondly, The ultimate source of the Christian's joy is the Lord. That is the ultimate source. It's not as the world and the joy that the world would describe. They say it's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. It's, 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 It's not just a passing feeling. It's joy because of what I have or what I do. Okay, and, and, and again, that's, I think, maybe a little more stable. It's a little bit more long-lasting in some ways, but it's, it's not even that. Why? Because he says here, rejoice in the Lord, not rejoice in me. Christian joy is not just a feeling it is, and by the way, it's not just a feeling. Christian joy is not just this, you know, uh, a feeling of being swept away with rapturous delight 24-7. Of course, it's not just that. But by the way, uh, some of you downers, it's not just being depressed all the time. If Christian life is not a feeling, it's not a feeling of depression and duty and toil and labor. You follow what I'm saying? Those feelings come, those feelings go. Christian joy goes deeper than that. What is it? It is the deep down confidence that God is in control of everything, no matter the circumstances. That's where your joy is found. It's, my joy is supposed to be in the Lord. Notice he says, not rejoice in God's blessings. He didn't say rejoice in joy. Why? If you get your joy from any other place than the Lord, something can take it away. We thank God for what we enjoy as Americans. But you know, if our joy comes from our freedom, it could be taken away. Paul had freedom. 
And he was, that freedom was taken away when he got arrested and put in prison. You can't get your joy out of your amusements. You can't get your joy out of your business, out of your productivity, out of your friends, from your good health, from your prosperity. Why? All of those things can be taken away. And the longer you live, the more you realize how fragile our supposed security is. You can't get your joy even from your spouse. You know what he told us? Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord. It's not delight thyself in the Lord so that he gives you all of these things. Because what happens when, you, when God doesn't give you what you want? Well, I, don't, I can't believe in a God who wouldn't. Well, then you weren't believing in God for the source of your joy. God was just there to kind of be the genie in the bottle that comes along and says, now how can I make your life amazing? And by the way, doesn't God make our lives amazing? But he also makes them extremely difficult on purpose to help us be more like Christ. If you want to be a good Christian, it's going to hurt because Jesus died on a cross we're supposed to follow his steps. There's so, many, uh, so much of this prosperity gospel. If you just give to God, he'll give back to you. Yes, but what he gives back to you may not be what you want. You see, God has a plan, and his idea is for his son's mind to be in you and to take your mind and to use that less and less and less and to use his mind more and more and more. The ultimate source of the Christian's joy is the Lord. Rejoice. Yes, we thank God for food and for freedom and for amusements and our business and our spouses and our family. We thank God for all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. I just like that music. I just like this. Okay, wonderful. But they are not the source of joy. Every time you say, oh, this steak tastes good, you should say, and I'm sorry, steak is on the brain. Forgive me. Every time you taste it, man, that's good. Thank you, God. Right? Thank you, God. Now, by the way, there are some things that to your flesh may taste or feel good, but they are wrong. Notice he said, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. There are some things the Lord said you can't do. For instance, marriage is honorable and all. And the bed undefiled, but whoremongery and adultery, God will judge. You know what that means? Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's what God wants you to have. That's the, that's the difficult thing we have to learn. Rejoice in the Lord. I thank God for the gifts that he gives, but I'm not rejoicing in him because of those gifts, primarily I am rejoicing. If God, gives me, if God gives me something great, I go, man, thank you, Lord. It's not that I say, I don't need this. Get rid of it. Throw it out. I just want you, God. I'm keeping that thing. Right? If I get a brand new car, I'm keeping the car. And every time I drive, thank you, Lord. Right? But if I'm like, hey, God, I need a new car, and God gives me a new car, and that car becomes what I really think about, and, I, and I, don't, I don't have time for him because I'm polishing it up, and I'm always working on it and driving in it and telling everybody about it. At some point, I'm no longer rejoicing in the Lord because of that thing, right? You can do the same with your spouse. You can do the same with your, with your kids. You can do the same with your job. You see, the ultimate source of joy is the Lord, and so we are to rejoice in him. What does that mean? Well, rejoice in the Lord himself, not what he has done for you. You see, everything you love, you love your kids? Good, you should love your kids. But do you realize that they are a gift from God? And you know, sometimes the Bible says the Lord giveth and the Lord hath taken away. What does that mean? It's a bucket of cold water in the face to remind me that that was a gift from God. I didn't earn. How do you make a human being? You say, well, I know how to make it. I mean, you don't know how to make it. No. I'm not talking about that. There's no person, there's no, no human scientist alive ever been that has even the smallest fraction of ability to create even the smallest part of a human organ. 
And yet here's this walking, talking human. It's a gift from God. My heart is, is, is burdened this morning for the Beyer family, uh, the Kevin Beyer missionary in Australia. He lost his wife this week to cancer. And they, they did everything they could, experimental drugs and treatments, and, and then they lost her. You know where Brother Kevin is this morning? I'll tell you where he is. He's in worshiping in the same church where Job went to. He said, the Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, that's what rejoicing in the Lord means. How can you rejoice in a God who would let that happen? Well, the only way is if you back up and say, I'm worshiping God, not what he gave me. I'm worshiping God, not what he did for me. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Father. The Father who loves you. The Father who sent his Son for you. Rejoice in the Lord means to rejoice in the Son. To rejoice in the one who came and bled and died and rose again to give you eternal life. Rejoicing in him. Rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. The comforter who will abide with you forever. Rejoicing in him. You say, well, I mean, those are good, but like, I don't feel good. I, I understand. But what I'm saying is you got you to step back before your feelings. And you got to say, what is true? What is true? Rejoicing in the Lord. You know, the Lord said in Psalm 1611, he said, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of what? Joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You see, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. A lot of, a lot of Christians seek his hand. They seek the pleasures forevermore. You know where fullness of joy comes from? The presence of God. Being with God. And it's such a challenge. As I read this, it's like, it's like trying to say, uh, tell, tell what you love about your wife in three words. I guess I'll we'll get a few more words in this verse, Philippians chapter 4. How do you talk about rejoicing in the Lord in such a small verse? And yet that is the command. And in this verse, he repeats it twice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice how? In the presence of God. In who he is. Not, who, what, not what he's done or what you're praying for him to do in your life. Who he is if he never did anything else for you. Who he is. You say, is that enough? Oh, yeah, that's enough. There's nothing in him that is not an occasion for joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I want you to look, if you would, go back to verse number, uh, chapter number one. When he said rejoice in the Lord, here's something that's really cool. We can literally rejoice in the Lord because we are in Christ. Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Where are you? You're in Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. You see, when we hear rejoice in the Lord, we think, well, it, it, it sounds like we're saying, when you think about Jesus, it should make you happy. You see, it's not just thinking about Jesus and who he is. It's thinking the way that he thinks. I have the power to think like Jesus. Rejoicing in the Lord is to use his mind to rejoice. You see, here, here, here's, what, here's why some of you are Scrooges on Christmas Day uh, and at Christmas time. I'm sick and tired of the commercialism and all that, and I get it. I'm with you, by the way. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, shut it all down. Let's just have Thanksgiving all year long. Because that's what you should be doing. It's thanking God. Bunch of fat Americans. You need to stop with all of that. Reindeer. Okay. But you know the reason why you think that? Is because you have your mind and you don't care what anybody else's mind is. You know what the Lord tells us to do? We're supposed to think like Christ. Why? Because you have the mind of Christ. And he said, let it be in you. Let this mind be in you. What does the Bible tell us in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Joy. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And he tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be, what's the word? 
filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Okay, so the, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And what, what does that mean? It's not a literal fruit, like nine pieces of fruit or whatever. We use that as illustrations. What it's saying, it is what the Spirit produces in you. Literally, he that is joined unto the Lord is one Spirit. That means when I'm on the same page with the Spirit of God, when I'm filled with the Spirit, I produce joy. Or rather, He produces joy in me. Okay? So what I'm saying, what, what I'm talking about, you know, this Scrooge mindset. Okay, here's it. You need, you know what they tell us? They tell us on commercials so that they, they can sell us stuff. You need to see Christmas through the eyes of a child. Right? In other words... Pay up, Scrooge. Look through the eyes of a child. See, what, what the Lord is telling us to rejoice in the Lord, he's saying, let this mind be in you. You can have the same understanding of where joy comes from as Jesus. How do you do it? You see it through the mind, through the eyes of Jesus. That's how you can rejoice in the Lord. It's not, well, okay, well, uh, you want to see through the eyes of a child? Well, uh, let me just tell this child something. You know what? It's not as great as you think. Because you know what happens to your toys? Number one, they don't come with batteries. Number two, even if they do come with batteries, you can't get it out of the package because they wrap it. Some, somebody from the FBI must be securing it somewhere. And then, you know, beyond that, once you get it out, if you ever do get the thing running, it's gonna, the battery's going to run down. You're going to run into the wall or into the drywall, which we just put up. And you're going to drive me crazy, and then what's going to happen is I'm going to step on it at 3.30 a.m. when I come down to the fridge, and it's going to be broken, and I'm going to scream and curse the day that I ever bought that thing. Now, you could tell that to your child. You know what they'll do? They'll sit there. <laughs> and hopefully someone will come along and restrain you, put you back in the box. All right? Why? You have to stop thinking like yourself and your negative, dark habits that you have, and you have to let someone else have a shot and see it through their eyes. I'm encouraging you this morning to rejoice in the Lord. If you're in Christ, it's not you working up this power of being a happy Christian. It is yielding to the Spirit of God who is in you, who will produce joy. So here's a question. If you're not a happy Christian... And I understand. We say, well, I'm not happy. I'm joyful. Oh, that's why you're so mad. All right? If you're not a smiling Christian, when I say smile, I don't mean just fake smile or forced smile. If you're not a Christian who has joy when looking at your circumstances, you are not yielded to the Spirit of God. You know what that means? Maybe you forgot, because he had to tell us twice in the very short verse... Maybe you forgot, but maybe you like being unhappy because it gives you a feeling of control. You know, it's a whole lot easier to build something than it is to bust it down. It's a whole lot easier to just be negative and dark all the time because that's what I already am. For a believer, it takes some work, and that's why there's a command that's repeated twice. Rejoice. Rejoice. How am I supposed to rejoice? You know what I, have go, what I have going on in my life? No, it's not about your circumstances. And by the way, Christians that have a bad habit of not rejoicing, like people like me, when the circumstances clear up, you know what we think? Finally, we're back to normal. All right, let's not have that again. <laughs> Still not happy. Why? Because it's not about circumstances. True Christian joy is anchored in the unchanging God, the source of joy. And you say, well, that's what I came to church for because I'm tired of being miserable. I want to get my life in gear. I'm tired of credit card debt and I'm tired of fighting with my wife. Look at all those things are, are negative and dark and nobody wants them in our lives. But if you're following Jesus, you may end up having problems. Because of following Jesus. If you've been saved any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. It's not easy to be Christ-like. In fact, it'll kill you. Kill Jesus. But that's okay because the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. I die to what? I die to my Amazon wish list. I die to my emotional well-being. 
I died of the perfect relationship with my dad and mom and my kids and my perfect job and my perfect house. I don't need all of that. You know who I need? I need the Lord. And if he decides to give me those things, great. But if he doesn't, blessed be the name of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. My satisfaction is spring-fed. There's a fountain inside of me. It's not me. See, there are people in here that are much better Christians than I am. You've been through so much more than I have, and you have joy. And I look at you and I say, well, it's their personality. They're Irish. You know, they just have that spark. No, it's not that. I know a lot of Irish people that don't have the spark of joy. You see, it's not about your personality or your background. There's some personality traits. We understand that. But Christian joy does not come from personality traits. It comes from Jesus. If you don't have any joy, it's not because of your circumstances. circumstances. Somehow there's a connection problem. There's a bad connection. You're not connected with the Spirit of God. He's in you. You see, God wants you to be, someone said, a thermostat, not a thermometer. All right, what does a thermometer do? Oh, it's cold in this house. I don't know. We always refer to the house in the third person, you know. It's, not, it's never cold in our house. It's, like, it's cold in this house, we say. All right? And you know, it's cold. That's a house for you. There's <laughs> always drafts everywhere. This drafty old barn. I don't know why we live here to begin with, right? You start feeling that way. You know what that is? That's a thermometer that says it's negative, it's dark, it's horrible, it's terrible, things aren't working good. That's life for you. Okay, listen, you and I as believers have a responsibility to change the temperature in our lives. Get up off the couch, go over to the thermostat, and change it. You say, well, it's still going to be cold. Okay, you're not getting it. The thermostat makes it warmer. You say, well, my life is still going to be miserable. Yeah, but you're no longer just thinking about your physical surroundings. Now you're thinking about him and your eternal existence with God. You're thinking about how you will live forever with Jesus and how he came up out of the grave. And so no matter what problems I have, if he can conquer death and grave and hell, he can conquer anything in my life, get me up above that, and I can rejoice in the Lord. Praise God. You know, it's, it's, it's shining outside. Well, it's not shining. It's fog. It's still shining. The sun hasn't changed a bit because the fog settled in. The sun is still shining. And see, what you and I have to do spiritually is get up above that fog and say, Lord, I'm not going to be down here in the hollows and the wallows and and down here in the dells and in the valleys and all disparaging, discouraging places. I'm going to get and float up above that. Why? I'm in Christ. And he's seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's where I am. And I'm going to think like him because he let me borrow his mind. Rejoicing. It's always possible. You see... He said, rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. At all times and in all conditions. By the way, he didn't say rejoice always. I'm thankful for that. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. Because there's some circumstances that I just can't rejoice in. You mean to tell me you cut your leg off? Well, thank the Lord. That's one less thing I have to worry about. Save on shoes. You know? What a blessing. No, nobody wants to have their appendage cut off. No one wants to have a headache. No one wants to lose a loved one. No one wants to have that. You see, we're not rejoicing in those things, rejoicing in the Lord. And we can do that all the time. Why? He's never changed. He's never been different. He's not learning how to be a good God. He's always been a good God, and He will always be a good God. And we thank God. For how he is faithful. Paul, throughout, look at chapter 1, verse 4. He he talks about praying with joy. Verse 18, he's rejoicing that Christ is preached. Verse 25, he says, I want to stay and abide and live instead of going to heaven. I want to stay here so you have more joy. He he wants to see people united. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. He said, I I want people to be like-minded with joy. 
He said in verse 16, he said, I don't want to run in vain. It was my joy not to run in vain. Look at chapter 3. He said his farewell here is rejoice in the Lord. Verse 3, he talks about those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 1, he said, uh, my converts are my joy and crown. You see, Paul, when he wrote this letter, was writing from prison. He had lost his liberty, his freedom to travel. He was carrying a lot of burdens, a lot of cares and concerns. And yet you could go through and mark with a red pencil time and time and time again where the word joy or rejoicing crops up. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. He says uh, where we are, joy. Verse 10, joy. Over and over again. His joy was based on his relationship with the Lord Jesus, which nothing could take from him. Habakkuk said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. What's this? This is a time of economic depression. Everything's going down. The stock market's crashing. And he says in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because joy is not produced by the stock market. Joy is not produced by my wife. Joy is not produced by my job. Joy comes from God above all of those things. I want you to take your Bibles to two more places, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll close today. Hebrews chapter 12. You see, if you don't have any joy, it's because Jesus is not real to you. Listen, I'm sorry you're sick, but I don't care how sick you are. I don't care what kind of pain you're in. Jesus is always there. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You can set the thermostat. Hebrews chapter 12, joy sees beyond. That's this point. Hebrews 12, look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're not going to go into the specific reasons for this joy or what it is, but I can tell you this. Whatever it is, it's beyond the suffering. He could see beyond the other, to the other side. It was an eternal perspective. See what I'm saying? Whatever the circumstances are, God's in control. He is on the other side of that, and I can have joy. Why? My joy comes from God, not from today. It comes from God. So here Jesus looks and he sees the joy on the other side of the cross. The Bible says he endured by seeing that joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want, I want to show you something. He repeats it. He said rejoice in the Lord three times. He told him to rejoice in the book of Philippians. Now look at 2 Corinthians. If you're new to the Bible, just hang in there. We're looking at a lot of scriptures today. Don't worry. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God. He said, I want you to know about the grace of God, what it's done, where? Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Guess where that is? Philippi. That's where Philippi is, in Macedonia. What does that look like? What does the grace of God look like? Here is what it looks like. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of of their liberality. They had two things. They had deep poverty. Well, the government will tell you deep poverty makes it impossible for anyone to be happy. It's why people are mad in America because they're in poverty. The Lord says, no, no, with believers it's different. Okay, we want to take care of poor people. We should try to help them as we can. But you can't give money to someone to make them happy. Here are people who are in not just poverty, but deep poverty. But they had something else in their deep poverty. What was that? Abundant joy. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. You know what happened to those folks because they had those two things? You combine their deep poverty and their abundant joy, and it tells us that they had great liberality. What does that mean? What in the world does that mean? 
For beyond, watch this, verse 3, for to their power, that means up to what they could do, what was in their bank account, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. This is a group of people that got together and said, we care about those people in Jerusalem that are poor. We're in deep poverty, but because we have so much joy, we've been setting our sights on the Lord. We find that even though there's not a lot, you know, in the cupboard, it's okay. Because we combine our joy, which is coming from God himself, which is way up above our pantry. We don't worry about what we have. We worry about what he has. We're thinking about that. And we, it, it fills our house. We're like, what can we give away? That's the mind of Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. You know what's amazing about this? Is that Jesus' mind was this. I've got it all, but I'm going to give it up because I want more joy. I've got everything I need, but I'm giving it up for you. And it's going to make me more joyful at the end of it. He said, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say, rejoice. As we enter into this Christmas season, let me encourage you to make him the source of your joy. Paul rejoiced. He was he was addicted to rejoicing. He had a habit of rejoicing. Someone said the calendar of the sinner has only a few days in the year marked as festival days, but every day of the Christian's calendar is marked by the hand of God as a day of rejoicing. You know, if we are supposed to be walking with the Lord and in the Lord's presence is fullness of joy, you know who should be the most joyful people? should be us. And I'm happy to tell you, if you're like me and you need to be reminded three times to be, to be joyful, I'm happy to tell you, God is gracious and kind and he'll give you another shot. And you know what's gonna, what, that, what that's going to do? It's going to be a testimony to other people. You know, they say a satisfied customer is the best advertisement. When you find joy in the Lord, and you go to talk about how good God is, people are going to say, you really mean this stuff, don't you? I said, oh, if I could tell you. You see, I love my God. He is amazing. And it's not because he gave me just a new car, a new house, and new hair, you know. Not just because of the things he's done for me, but because of who he is. Christian, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let's bow our heads in prayer.